When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broadcasting from the Annie Up Studios, it's the longest-running poker podcast for the everyday poker player with your host, Joe Scales. Hello, A-Team. It's Friday, February 24th, and I have to tell you guys, I am so grateful for all of you. I've been going over the numbers for the last few weeks of the podcast, and we continue to grow each week which is so exciting and humbling all at the same time. That said, if you've just found the show or you've been listening for a while, make sure to head over and check out our social media channels as well. There are a lot of pieces to Annie Up that are churning behind the scenes. The best way to keep up with those is right here and with our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Also, thank you to everyone that has sent in submissions to Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, but I always need more and more of those, so keep those coming into podcast at anyupmagazine.com. All right, that's all I have, so let's get on with the show. Find out what conversations are happening around the poker table with Table Talk. All right, here we are around the poker table again with Mike. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Joe. What's up, man? I'm I'm kicking. I've got a few things I want to talk about. One thing that I want to talk about, I'm going to just start off with it because with the Super Bowl over now, I am a huge baseball fan and I'm super excited that baseball is back into the conversation. And one topic that is kind of taking over the baseball news is what may be replacing the Rio in Vegas. Huh. The Oakland A's owner has been asking for a new stadium for a few years now, and rightfully so, because that stadium is awful. Huh. The Oakland Coliseum is is falling apart. So the rumor is that maybe they might be following the Raiders into Vegas. Wow. Of course, right now it's all speculation, but... Rob Manfred, the the commissioner of baseball, said last week that he wasn't really optimistic that they were going to stay in Oakland. And the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported that the team is considering building a ballpark where the Rio sits. So that's interesting to me. That's right, in the mix there, too. Yeah. Well, they've you know, they've got a minor league team there that does really well as far as attendance. And of course, you can't necessarily translate that into the major leagues, but the A's don't exactly fill their stadium, so I can't imagine that they would do worse. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's a major league baseball team. There's a real good chance it should start filling up. I mean, I don't know. There's so many people from everywhere that come into Vegas that there's their shot. Well, I'm here. Let's go buy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, for the longest time, Vegas was the place to go gamble, right? But there's so many entertainment options in Vegas now. And food, oh man, the the food in Vegas is out of this world. That's why I can't. (laughs) 
Um, one of the other things I wanted to bring up is, did you know that Nevada is one of just five states that does not have the lottery? Seriously? Nevada, Alabama, Alaska, Hawaii, and Utah are the only ones without a state lottery. The casino industry has always been opposed to a lottery. I don't know that if they're just concerned that it's going to take away money from that could be spent in the casino, but I mean, we're not talking about big dollars, right? I mean, maybe on some of those people that play, yeah, but uh, for the most average Joe, uh, they may spend $4 a week on payday. Right. You know, so yeah, I mean, that would that would really be nice for, uh, for folks to have at least be able to draw into that make a million or something. Yeah. So last week, uh, there was a proposal that was introduced that would allow voters to decide if the lottery will be available. So. Okay. And then the last thing that we need to talk about is this trip that you made. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it with you, but uh, you made the trip down to Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. Let's start with the trip because... Last I heard, uh, it took a little longer than you expected. Well, it was really strange. I plugged Siri in and said, all right, I'm going to listen and uh, hit the road. And yeah. Put that put the Annie Up podcast on and took off, huh? I was rolling with it, man. I was playing some back-to-back sessions. I was about 20 minutes away from the casino uh, and I hit this part of the interstate that's getting ready to go out over the Chesapeake Bay. And then... 70 to zero. Traffic was just stopped? Back to back stopped. And I'm thinking, you know, I see people getting off the exit to my right. And I'm thinking, ah, I'm not getting off there. I'm on the wrong side of the water. <laughs> so uh, I sat with the traffic and then we started moving two miles an hour. So, but when did it, where did it pick up at? Did- as soon as we get into the tunnel, we're going 45 miles an hour down the tunnel and back up the other side. I get through the, I blew through the tunnel. I get through the tunnel. We're back up to 60, 70 miles an hour, right outside the tunnel. Were people just afraid to go in the tunnel? What What happened? I don't have a clue. What I think, we figured that it's alien. Half the people that go into this tunnel, when they come out, they just grab them, or they grab them out the tunnel, <laughs> and we don't see it. It's the only explanation I've got. <laughs> so anyways, I finally made my way over there to the rivers. Going in the parking lot, the parking lot's huge. It was nice. It's well marked. Security was really good. I was very impressed with it. You walk in, you present your ID. You got to have your driver's license or a valid ID. They scan it in. I walked around for a little bit. I just wanted to acclimate myself to the area and uh, found out some interesting things. I stood in the line for about 15 minutes, and I found out that I was in the wrong line for the poker room. So I went to the poker room. So I see their cashier's cage, and I... Start to walk over, and a lady to the left, as soon as you walk into the poker room, may I help you, sir? Yes, ma'am. Go and get me some chips and play some poker. And she said, which game would you like to sign up for? And, you know, they got one and three. They got right. two and five. They got five and ten on the no limit hold them. Then they're playing the big O. Okay. Then they got uh, two pot limit Omaha table. And then they had a uh, four-eight uh, limit holding. So I signed up for my table. She said, there's uh, your number 47. I said, oh. She said, but don't worry. It's moving real fast. I went, well, that don't sound promising. <laughs> don't worry. They're all getting knocked out really fast. <laughs> all right, don't sit me at the table. Everybody's getting bumped off of. Anyway, I bought my chips, laid out my money. They gave me my chips. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was over two hours that I waited. They don't have enough dealers yet. 
Uh, they're being trained. Oh, gotcha. They're releasing five more this week, but they got 15 more coming next week. So they said it's going to be a few months. They'll be starting tournaments. Okay. But anyways, um, I finally got set. Okay. And it's a work in progress. And they told me that Friday nights and Saturday nights are just to, are bombing them. They're just being bombarded with people. And that makes sense in that area. Sure. I mean, when you don't have poker in Virginia and uh, or a casino in Virginia, and all of a sudden now you do, then, I mean, it makes sense. That's exactly why I didn't, I wasn't upset. They called my name. I sat down at the table. I started losing. You know, I always <laughs> do. I started playing and losing. And uh, so I got up and I ran to the bathroom. And when I came back, I couldn't find my table. My dealer was gone. But he's the same daggone aliens that were in the tunnel were in the poker room. Yeah. Anyways, I couldn't find a table. So I'm standing there in the middle of the poker room. You know, it was like, what, 20 tables? And I'm just turning in a circle, looking around. And I walked right up to a table, and I said, this table's empty, except for that poker manager and that lady sitting there. And there's my chips and my card marker. Well, they busted up her table. So they sent me to another table. Okay. It's the best table I've played poker at in any casino ever. People were friendly, laughing, and playing cards like they knew they was doing something. All right. We played poker then. It was none of this. I'm Olympian. It was none of the. If you didn't know how to bet, you might as well go home. Anyways, I, I ended up tripling my money at that table. And uh, then I made a couple bad calls just before I left. I ended up, I doubled up that night. Nice. Which was very good for me. Um, you know, yeah. I, I was very happy about that. And I went back to the hotel. And, you know, I was going back that next morning and placed Sunday night, too. And I said, you know what? I've won. I'm going home. <laughs> so- Take your money and run. Just so everybody knows, uh, Mike always comes out a pretty decent winner at the home games. But when he gets into a casino and you add in that rake, then things turn a little bit. This is the first time that Mike has booked a win in an actual casino. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Thank you. Because it is. It's the first. Just me and me and uh, cash game pokers in poker rooms don't get along. Right. But we do. Right. Now. I figured it out finally. All right. That's all we got this week. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Uh, Thanks again, Mike. All right, Joe. Thank you. Bye. Now it's time for Call the Floor with Elliot Schechter. Elliot Schechter is the poker room manager for Rivers Casino in Schenectady, New York. He joins us each week to say how he would rule on situations that come up in your games. And he's here with me again this week. How are you, Elliot? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a good week. How are you doing? It is great. Uh, the weather is fantastic out here. I don't know what it's like in, in Schenectady, but it is beautiful here. Uh, we've had a, a spot of good weather. It's been in the 40s and 50s uh, lately, but we're about to get hit by that impending band of ice and snow that's attacking the uh, the whole northern sector of the country. Yeah, I guess it's inevitable. We are at the end of February. Absolutely. Now, we've been <laughs> lucky so far, so yeah, exactly. it won't kill us. Well, this week, David Ferry sent in the call the floor and he says, I was sitting at a fairly friendly 1-3 no limit cash game. There was a reg that had been bullying the table all night. And finally, one player took a stand with ace 10. The reg had ace deuce. 
The hand's not that important, but the reg flopped two pair and was betting like he normally would on a bluff. The other player with top pair calls him down to the river where he catches a 10 to give him a higher two pair. The reg flips his cards and the other player, relieved to see he had won, throws his cards at the flop and in midair, one of the cards flips and lands face down. Since it's all the way across the table from the guy, I turned it over, exposing the player's higher two pair. The reg gets really angry, calls the floor, says that me flipping his cards negates the win. Was there any validity to his claim? If another player touches the cards, does that make your hand dead? Well, I'll answer the question first and then explain. There was no validity to his claim. (laughs) Uh, He was wrong. Touching somebody's cards does not automatically kill them. That is a concept that has not existed in public poker for many, many years and is not used anymore. Let's face it, if you were sitting next to somebody with whom you had a history and did not like and wanted to see them lose as many pots as possible, what's to stop you from touching their cards every time they have a hand? That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) So this rule, as he would like it to have, would be unenforceable. Now, this does violate a rule, but the person who threw his cards and one landed face down did not violate the rule. The person who turned the card over, namely our hero, David, is the violator of the rule, which is one player to a hand. Right. Uh, one of the very basic rules of the game. Yeah, and I was going to mention, I, I reached out to David uh, to get a little bit more clarification because he never said what the ruling was from the floor there. He mentioned that obviously the, the person did win the hand, but uh, they gave him a penalty, which sounds like... Who's him? Who got the penalty? David actually got a penalty for touching the cards. And that is correct. That is an excellent application of the rules. We are allowed to make rulings on etiquette. We are allowed to make rulings on on items that affect the game, yet may not be very explicitly and clearly outlined in any set of rules. Uh, I would have given David a penalty in that spot, too. Uh, The correct action was uh, for nobody to touch the card, for the dealer to call the floor, describe what happened, and then the floor would then uh, give the card back to the player, noting that it's both retrievable and uh, identifiable. There was no reason for that hand to be dead. There's certainly no reason for that player to be throwing his cards at the flop. Right. Turn them over in front of them. That's another point that I was going to ask you about. I, I, why would you not just turn your cards over? Players playing in, in poker rooms, especially inexperienced ones, still have no idea how to actually sit there and let the game play. Uh, they may know what beats what. They may know when to bet and when to fold. There's still other rules of etiquette that they don't know how to follow because they probably haven't been educated on them. I'll give this player that kind of credit. Uh, That being said, I'm sure he's learning the lesson now. Well, I appreciate you sending that one in, David. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Let's break it down with Hand of the Week. All right, here we are back with another Hand of the Week with Tay Whiteside. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us once again. Having a blast here, and if I remember correctly, we've got a return. Yes. Returning uh, listener. Yes. Hayden Andrew, he sent us in two uh, Hands of the Week last week, and we're going to go through the second one this week. They won last week. They did win. They won a big pot last week. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, they're playing online, though, so the stakes are... 25 cent, 50 cent. My kind of poker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Forgiving. What do you think about online poker as a whole? Not to go into a complete diatribe here. (laughs) 
versus uh, we obviously could, in Pokemon. We could we could have a whole podcast on this, but basically, I don't understand how we can do sports betting online, but we can't do poker online. Makes no sense to me. In most the places, sta- it's not. In in many states, it's not legal for a online company to be like Poker Stars is not available for real money in Virginia. But. Uh, my bookie or the sports book app is on every billboard exactly up and down the interstate exactly yeah, makes makes matter. no sense and the it's only the same reason, thing the only reason that I can see is that these lawmakers making these laws don't understand the skill that is involved with poker oh they think it's like it's like a predatory chance and people are going to lose right everything right but you can lose everything you can but as I'm learning now but too, I can lose everything. I can lose everything on um, placing sports bets, too. I would argue more likely to lose everything (laughs) exactly all that stuff. Okay, well, in any case, Hayden here is playing online, 25.50. Yep, 25 cent, 50 cent. Um, They are under the gun. Okay, so I'm going to put myself in the the shoes here. And they look at their hand with the seven of hearts, seven of clubs. What are you going to do? Pair of sevens out of the gate. I'm about five dollars. Whoo! Five dollars is what ten times the big blind. That's a good point. Well, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there you go. I'm betting regardless. Okay, right. I've decided I'm betting regardless. A pair of sevens is cool. It's not amazing as far as a pocket hand is concerned. Seven is one half of the worst hand possible. The seven two. Uh, yes. Uh, but we paired up. And if we get a third, that's a, that's a decent little little jab. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to bet something. And I'm probably going to get called, I would imagine. But we have no idea. Um, I mean, it is online poker. So you will probably get called. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, then I'm sticking with my $5 bet, dang it. Um, all right. So Hayden raises three and a half times the big blind. So they raise to a dollar seventy-five. Seems more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they bet. Oh, yeah, because I want to play this hand, too. All right. So the only person that calls is the button. Okay. And they have little, very little information about the button player. And it's f- online anyway, so you're getting less read right. on the people right. as it stands. Yeah, I mean, you still, there when you're playing with, if you play the same stakes, then a lot of times you still end up playing against a lot of the same players. Oh, sure. So um, you Build can get case. some information, but in this case, they have very little. All right. Two people in pre-flop. And the flop is the nine of hearts, the six of spades, eight of hearts. Hey, straight draw. <laughs> straight draw. And three hearts on the table. Well, two on the table, one in my hand. Right. Um, and it's our decision. So yeah, you've got you've your first act. Okay, well in this case, we bet the dollar seventy five in real life. Real life, correct. Um, and there was one call, one person called. So that's like three fifty on the table, right? Um, feel like now's the time to bet, do that five dollar bet because now there's some actual money on the table. <laughs> Still seems aggressive if we because I'm getting carried away with how little quote-unquote money is being played for here but percentages are still probably what should be thought about so if there's 350 on the table you know half of that is at least a reasonable bet i'm bet two dollars okay i got sevens in my hand 
I got a straight draw working maybe. There's still chance for a flush here. Uh, it's not likely that I'm the only one that would have a flush if two more hearts hit the table. But pair of sevens pocket, yeah, I'm going to bet $2. Okay. All right. So when you're playing online, then you have these little buttons down there that do the math for you. Mm. Oh, so you can click a button that says bet half the pot. Bet, bet half, quarter. bet quarter pot, bet three-quarter pot. Clever. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if that's your first time seeing it, that, that should tell you that that is a popular strategy, is to pay attention to the percentage right. of the pot your bet is. Right. Yeah. I haven't played online poker much. Um, Hayden says, I think this board hits his range more than mine, but I'm open-ended with a marginal backdoor flush. So when this is actually a good, good point to, to talk about here because... Um, when you're talking about ranges, then when you're making your bets, you should be thinking about what your range typically is. Mm. So what people are going to be putting you on as well as their range. So what you think they could be calling you with or raising you with or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever their action is from the position that they're in. What does what does that mean? Typically, what's what kind of range can you put them on? Well, yeah. And maybe their actions might insinuate what range they're interested in. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in this case, they bet three quarter pot, which according to my math <laughs> is, uh, about two sixty three. Okay. Is the weird part about, uh, online poker is that the, you get these weird bets because but you're just you, betting. You can sort of work backward and go, they probably bet. Yeah. 50. Well, just, I bet $2. So I'm right there. Yeah. So then, um, it's called the turn is the Jack of Clubs. Mm-hmm. What should we do here? Well, speaking of ranges, there's that Jack. <laughs> yes. So we got to worry about someone who's got a 10 in their hand. The 10 queen would be bad to go up against because you need to have 8, 9, 10, Jack, queen. So the pair of sevens in our pocket is looking... A little... Not great, huh? A little rough. Yeah. Hmm. And I just bet 261, and it was called? It's just two people in right now, right? And we don't know much about this other person. I'll check. All right. Hayden also checks, and the villain bets one-third pot. Okay. So the question that they ask here is, does he sense weakness here? Hmm. What do we do? What's a third of the pot at this point? What was the bet? So one third of the pot should be at what a dollar sixty ish. Sense weakness. Well, that's a logical assumption, being that we bet and now we're checking on the jack. And if that jack didn't excite us, that eliminates us from having the hand that is, you know, the power play here. But if we bet now, might tell him that the we do have the queen ten, which we don't. <laughs> um, should probably go against my every instinct and fold. This goes against your instinct. Why? I just want to get aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Hand of the week does that to you. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> what do we have to lose? We're just sitting here on a microphone talking right. about poker. But in real life, I would think about it for a while and then probably fold. Yeah. Okay. What All does right. Hayden do? Hayden says, I call. At this point, yeah. I'm calling in case he had top pair, over pair, Two pair, hoping that I hit my 10 or my 5, right? Mm-hmm. Hoping he makes a straight. 
and hoping that a heart doesn't come on the river. So that's a lot of wishful thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He. That's a lot of chasing here. Um, a lot of hopeful. A lot has to go right for right. this to work out in our favor. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd like. What are we hoping for at this point? If a ten or a five doesn't come, then are you hoping they have a six? Are you thinking they're just bluffing? Like. Well, There's if a 10 no to a 5 reason. doesn't come, then it's time for us to start bluffing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. But I folded, but Hayden's in, so let's uh, see. And uh, it's we're first to act again, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to see the river, I think. The river is the three of diamonds. Useless. A blank. Yeah. <laughs> and at this point, I'm, I'm glad I folded. Yeah. Personally. Uh, now, let's pretend I didn't fold previously. Well, now we know we have nothing except a pair. And we, right. We, there's no flush. There's nothing. Your choices are basically to to give up or to try to pretend that you have something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you check and then they bet, I'm probably going to fold right after that or double down. Bluffing to me has to, it has to all feel right. Well. Like it, in that, yeah. it's like. That to me involved uh, heavily involves who I'm playing with, how much I know about them, <laughs> you know how you how right. if, if I can bully them if they've been a little little weary to play bigger hands, you know I might try to muscle it out depending on my stack. But I think I would if I'm Hayden again, I'm gonna check because I'm not I'm, I'm I, I still yeah. think it's the right move. Yeah, I think if they win this by going high and bullying, good for them. But, right, right. Yeah. So I think that one thing to point out, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you sometimes you can try and, and bluff at it, but your story has to make sense right. throughout the whole thing, right? And I think if we try to bluff here at the end, that story doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, a three of diamonds hits the river and you all of a sudden go crazy. I, it's not going to, not going to make sense. Yeah. And I'm sure that, that any decent poker player is going to be able to figure that out. Because so, if anything, that you should have gotten excited about the jack. Right. Not the three. So. Well, I'll check, being that we're first to act, but I'm going to be real surprised if Hayden bets here. What's he do? Hayden checks also. Yeah, okay. The villain bets third pot. Then you we, fold. We've, we've already talked about the, yeah. the, the thought that they were going to fold. So, What does he do, though? <laughs> Hayden says, my thinking was that these last two bets were value bets. So. Definitely thinking that they had something. Mm-hmm. Maybe two pair, over pair, or trips. I end up folding, but had myself rethinking whether I played it right. Should I have checked the flop? Should I have called the turn? I, I don't have any problem with the the play on the flop. Yeah, that, that one made the most... We were still in possible victory territory there. Once that jack hits, everything changes and and this is another one of those situations and and i think i see a theme here with with hayden where it looks like they get stuck in this hand and not able to regroup right so yeah after that jack hits the table then everything should change at that point uh you can't just keep trying to fix mistakes would that do you think at that point you either make a power play yeah. Or you, fold. You, yeah, exactly. So you've got to have your ma- mind made up at that point. I'm going to go for it or mm-hmm. I'm not. Right. And the fact that you check on the turn means you're done. Like you, you can't now try to tell a story at the end. And, and uh, chasing that straight 
even yeah. if you even if you hit it right even if you hit it you still have to be worried that they might have what queen 10 makes a perfect sense there as well mm-hmm. so then you're still beat yeah so i just feel like the the big mistake in this one is you should have folded on the turn or go all in yeah i mean that's definitely because that's a more cohesive story than sure in and out in and out yeah 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 i, but, I think I, I made it clear i would have folded yeah pretty early yeah. yep because I would have played for free after the flop as much as I could, but as soon as there's pressure, I'm I think I'm out. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and I think that I think that the the pre-flop bet was fine. They made it three and a half times the big blind, which was fine. Mm-hmm. Then the bet on the flop is fine. So really, it's the turn that the mistakes start being made. Oh, how the table has turned. <laughs> All right, Hayden. Uh, hey, at least you won the first one. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how, yeah, you notice the pattern sort of in their playing. And, and I, would, I would say that as, as a novice player, I find, I've found myself in this position a lot. Yeah. You know, you have an idea and maybe you're not – you make a decision sort of with blinders on. You're only considering part of what could happen, not upper ranges or sure. other yeah. things. And so you start off heavy and then – somewhere in the mix it hits you like oh crap that probably (laughs) wasn't a good idea where i'm screwed now and then are you showing this emotion a are you like panicking (laughs) and still betting because then you're just throwing money on the away right you know or or do you you double down to tell one story or when what you're looking for doesn't hit do you get out of the way right in this case he didn't do either (laughs) he just sort of limped along yeah and then lost yeah and and once once the check is made, I mean, this is similar to what we talked about a week ago. You've got to either do that check raise and really tell that strong story yeah. or you've got to let it go. There uh, you go. All right, Hayden. I appreciate you sending those in. And Tay, appreciate you doing this with me again. Yeah, man. And if you have a hand of the week that you would like for Tay and I to break down, send it to podcast at com. Thanks, Tay. Thanks, Joe. See you guys next week. The question is, how you running? Zags and Beely is a certified public accountant. He owns a firm that specializes in gambling tax and has worked with recreational and professional poker players, sports bettors, etc. for more than 10 years. He is joining Annie Up to help us all understand and navigate the world of taxes and gambling a little bit better. Zach, typically I would ask uh, how you run it at this point, but uh, I think I'll just start with uh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. This is an exciting topic, especially this time of year. First of all, how did you get into this area of accounting? Because you just don't hear too many people focusing on the gambling segment of taxes. Yeah, I think kind of growing up, I was part of the online poker boom and played, you know, recreationally and just found it pretty interesting. Uh, but then I got into the world of accounting and, and finance and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, then I moved to Las Vegas and I started working with a firm and we started working with professional gamblers and recreational gamblers. I quickly realized that there's not that many people in the accounting space that specialize in this type of tax. So we wanted to educate players and help them kind of navigate the world of gambling. And then kind of as poker grew and now as sports betting is growing across the country, there's just so many more people affected by these types of winnings and losses. And they're not as familiar with the ramifications as we think that they should be. Uh, So we're just trying to spread the word and educate people and help to make sure that 
not only are they filing it correctly, but they're also minimizing the amount of tax that they could potentially owe. That makes sense. Uh, you mentioned you were in Vegas, but uh, you work with people all over the country. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We have a, it's a remote firm. So we work with clients across the United States, even worked with uh, international clients at some points. But like I said, as sports betting and, and other areas of legalized gambling are growing, there's an increasing amount of state tax concerns as well as federal tax concerns. So whether you live on the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, wherever it is, we can definitely help get your taxes done for you. Nice. Well, what I'd like to do today, I'd like to go through some of the common misconceptions about gambling and taxes and then open things up to the A-team out there and and, uh, let some questions come in. As those come in, then we'll come back to you and and bring you back on to answer those. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Send in as as many questions as you want and and we'll try to address them. Uh, But from a, a frequently asked question standpoint, I'd say the one that we get a lot are my gambling winnings or losses, but but mostly winnings subject to some sort of flat tax. There's actually a decent amount of information on the internet that shows that gambling winnings are subject to some type of flat 24 or 27% tax, but gambling winnings are subject to your marginal tax rates. So depending on your other sources of income, you can essentially stack your gambling winnings on top of your other sources of income, whether it's from wages or dividends or interest and you'll pay tax at the marginal federal tax rates. The same applies at the state level. So if you have state earnings, then whatever gambling winnings you have will then go ahead and stack on top of your earnings. And if it's a flat tax rate, it will be taxed at a flat rate or again, marginal state tax rates. So that's just one misconception that a lot of people have have asked about. That makes sense. But other than that, other questions we get asked is, how do I keep a log? For winnings that are not reported to the IRS, they're going to want to know how you're tracking your winnings and losses. You can do this using you know, an app, using an Excel spreadsheet. You can write it by hand if you want. There are some nuances to what you need to track. Um, I always recommend just taking a look at where you gambled, how long you gambled, uh, the game type that you had, and then your total you know, net win or net loss from that session. Those are kind of the key important factors. But as long as you have something that's established and you can prove that you are tracking it at the time it happened, the IRS doesn't want to see some type of log that was created after the fact that just kind of doesn't really establish any credibility. Sure. And then the important thing to track with your logbook is your sessions. So there are multiple different definitions of what a session would be. For poker players, it's a little bit easier. Anytime you play in a tournament, that's going to be considered one session, even if it lasts multiple days. So there's a little bit of confusion out there, but if you fire multiple bullets in the tournament, you can usually include that as one session, even if the casino does not include that in one session per a tax form that you might be issued. Okay. Playing cash games, you can go ahead and consider any cash game you play at the same stake during the same day as a session. So if you're playing online and you're multi-tabling a bunch of No Limit Hold'em at, let's just say, 1-3, you can count all of the session results for that 124-hour period uh, as a net. So if you end up up $500 for the day, your session result for that day will be $500. If you're playing live or if you're playing different sorts of stakes or games, you're going to want to include the different game types in each session. So if you go ahead and jump into PLO, you're going to want to have your PLO session as a different net result than your no limit session. Okay. So if I sit down at a, a one, three table and I'm waiting, I'm on a list for uh two, five and I switch to the two, five game, then those are different sessions. 
you should you should mark those as different different sessions. Although it's the same game type, since it's different stakes, I think you can make the argument to keep it as one session. But to be safe, if you're going to have a contemporaneous log as you would anyway, I would go ahead and separate those sessions out. Sure, that makes sense. All right, so you actually touched on a couple of things that I want to elaborate on. One being a threshold. So is there a threshold for winnings? Meaning, if I am under a certain dollar amount, then do I have to report that? So when it comes to income and reporting, all income is reportable, whether or not it's reported to the IRS. So if you're playing cash games or if you're playing table games, very rarely, if ever, are you going to be receiving a tax form for that. So that's why you need to keep your log so you can prove to the IRS, here's my total winnings or here's my total losses. Same goes for tournaments. If you win in a tournament and it's below a reporting threshold, it still needs to be reported to the IRS on your tax return. That being said, certain winnings will generate tax forms with the IRS. So if you're playing in a tournament and you win more than $5,000 after you subtract out your buy-in, you're going to receive a W2G from the casino. Okay. That just means that it's already being reported to the IRS on your behalf. So they're going to want to at least see that amount of income on your tax return. Sure. There are different thresholds for different game types. So like I said, table games probably won't receive a W2G, but if you hit some sort of progressive that pays more than $600 and 300 times your wager, you will receive a W2G. That same threshold applies to sports betting as well. So 99% of the time, you won't see a tax form from sports betting, but it's always possible. And then slot machines, you know, it's a $1,200 minimum. So depending on the game type you're playing, if it's going to be reported to the IRS, it may or may not be. But no matter what happens, you should be reporting that income to the IRS on your tax return. Uh, what about what about online poker? So are the rules different for online and live casinos? For the most part, online and brick and mortar casinos will have the same reporting requirements. If you're playing a session online, it's going to be very similar to playing a session in a live casino. The only difference with online casinos is the ease of reporting for the gaming operator. So while there are minimum thresholds that I just discussed, you know, $5,000 for tournaments, casinos can issue a tax form for any dollar amount for any winnings. They just choose not to because it's more work for them. So if the IRS says they only need to issue a tax form for a $5,000 tournament win, they're not going to issue forms below that amount. It's because it's just going to cost them time and money to do so. Sure. But when you're playing online, it's a little bit less friction and generating forms automatically is a little bit easier. So if you're playing, let's just say online blackjack, you might realize at the end of the year that the operator that you're using is going to be issuing you a W2G if you win more than say $500 on an individual hand of blackjack. So if you're not aware of that going in, it just might be a little bit of a surprise come the end of the year. If you have you know, 300 W2Gs, <laughs> but it's only because you were playing, you know, five sessions of blackjack online. And all of a sudden you have all these forms that you don't have to account for. Right. Okay. That all makes sense. Well, this, this cleared up a lot. And, uh, I think the listeners are going to have a lot of questions of their own that they want to send in. So, uh, if you do have some questions for Zach, uh, you can always submit them to podcast at com. But if you're looking for something a little more in depth and you, you know, you've got some bigger questions that you want to go back and forth with Zach on, uh, Zach, you want to give them an email that they can reach you at? Sure. Yeah. You can reach me at Zach at ZachTheCPA.com. So it's spelled Z-A-K at Z-A-K, the CPA.com. And there's just so many little nuances that come with gambling tax. Uh, so, you know, send in your questions and we'll try to address them the be as best we can. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. It's time for Joe's One Outer. I was watching Rounders again the other day. 
While I sat there watching this movie for the hundredth time, I was thinking about how starved for good poker movies we are. We've seen some pretty unforgettable poker scenes with Casino Royale, Maverick, and Rounders. However, while Hollywood may do a great job of conveying the emotions of a high-stake poker hand, there are just so many things they get painfully wrong. For starters, poker players are not mind-reading mutants. I mean, Daniel Negreanu is well-known for his hand-reading abilities, and there's plenty of video evidence to back that up. However, according to Hollywood, if you're a winning poker player, then you must be able to determine your opponent's cards with 100% accuracy. Matt Damon's character in Rounders walks into a room, stands at the back for less than a minute, and reads an entire table of judges' hands. Burt Reynolds' character in Deal figures out a player's cards blindly. In reality, reading an opponent's hand has more to do with things like board texture and betting patterns that are discerned over time. Variance happens to every poker player on the planet. Yet poker movies seem to ignore its presence exists, running up bankrolls quickly and easily until the final hand that always seems to be a cooler. After building up the brilliant poker skills of the main character for roughly two hours, we finally find ourselves at the big game. The stakes are high, tensions are high, yet what we're left with in the end is always a hand that plays itself. It removes any skill from the equation, a good example of this is the final hand from Casino Royale. A flush, two full houses, and a straight flush. The odds of a run out like this is trillions to one. This hand is going to play out the same way no matter what the stakes are or what the player's skill level is. Movies are always going to take a creative license in order to add to the drama. I get that. There's tons of examples of this in other areas too. However, some of the glaring errors in poker movies are so outrageous that it makes them almost unbearable to watch. I don't expect to see a perfect depiction of poker on the big screen, but I do reserve the right to be annoyed by the feeble attempts so far. That's today's One Outer, and that's our show. See you next week, A-Team, and until then, I'll see you at the tables. The Any Up Podcast is a production of AnyUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcasts at anyupmagazine.com or call the show at 540-339-7741. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to editor at anyupmagazine.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.